Mercury, Mercury Stardust She's a beacon of hope in the darkest night Mercury, Mercury Stardust She'll teach you how to make it all alright Hey there, hi, my name is Mercury and I'm the trans handyman My pronouns are she, her, and I teach compassionate DIY We're here to help renters, LGBTQIA members, and anyone who's feeling left out in a DIY space Hey guys, gals, and non-binary pals! Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Handy Ma'am Hotline. As always, I am joined by my lovely co-host, Maggie Conrad. Hello. (sighs) (laughs) I gotta bring back this old bit. Don't bring that back. (laughs) I gotta bring back this old bit, Maggie. Is this is our fortieth episode? Mm -hmm. We are over the hill. Over the hill. Someone get me a novelty can from. For Party City. City. I'm making the joke (laughs) that the wonderful Matthew Hag, uh, who's our sound engineer, made right before we jumped on here. They don't need to know that. It's okay. (laughs) I didn't want to. I didn't want to steal a joke from you, Maddie. Before give credit where credit is due. Yeah, give credit where credit is due. (laughs) All that being said, everyone, if you're listening to this episode right now, I believe this episode is coming out the week. Before the book tour, yeah, yeah. Uh, we are um, edit- we are recording this right now on Tuesday. You'll be hearing this probably in your ear holes on Thursday or later. Uh, and just on, uh, I think Tuesday, the coming Tuesday, we will then be yeah. on the road, uh, starting our fifty-two city book Wild. tour. Wild, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> I was trying to figure out. Where I'm going to be, I think I'm going to be in Chicago to start going with. Going to Chicago the first day, yeah, on the yeah. 22nd. I don't know, which, which, where am I flying next? Where's the next, is it? Oh, the, God, I don't remember what order <laughs> it's in. I, uh, in my defense, I did not plan the first leg. That was all the publisher. Uh, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> I don't even know where I'm going to be next Wednesday. That is the most murky uh, thing I've ever heard. I think it's either New York. I think it's New York. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I just think it's hilarious that right now, right now, where I'm sitting right now, here in tropical Madison, Wisconsin, exactly eight days from now, I don't know where I'm going to be. And then I don't know where I'm going to be nine days from now, ten days from now, and eleven days. I, there's a whole week ahead of me where I'm just going to be like, hey, uh, like, um, I'm like that um, from Spinal ta- Tap, uh-huh. you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, hello, Denver! <laughs> Go be just randomly yelling yeah oh my god i'm so happy i'm in utah as she's in miami florida that's hilarious you just keep it really vague like i love this town <laughs> this, is- <laughs> this town is so unique in its food and in its environment also the people talk different here <laughs> oh it- and you'll be doing the podcast on the road too i'll be doing the podcast in your ear holes all the way through so listen along to find out all the hijinks happening on the road it's gonna be a good time (laughs) but all that being said remember you can pre-order my book right now in the last couple of days leading up to when the book really comes out on august 22nd you pre-order my book safe and sound a renter's friendly guide to home repair available basically everywhere where you get your favorite book now all that being said and mm-hmm. all that self promo, <laughs> shameless <laughs> promo early on in the podcast. 
Are you ready, Maggie, to help some strangers on the internet with things that are broken and things? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, we got to think of a better, like... <laughs> thing we gotta think of a better tagline you said thing like 10 times yeah in the last let's help minute. people with the thing in the thing and the let's thing get about. handy let's get handy oh my god that's so much better i love the double entendre that's too. so much oh manny manny that's so good hold on i want to do like dark wing duck okay. hold on hold on let's get handy i love it i love it <laughs> I just want a ginormous H on my chest. And when people are like, why is that an H? Be like, I'm handy. <laughs> okay, Maddie, let's Roll play the, the first one. Hi, my name is Jadra. Thank you for existing and for having a hotline to leave a weird, annoying question. My pronouns are they, them. And my sink, the little stopper thingy that you push down you know, to block the sink or, you know, you pull it up to not block the sink. Well, it doesn't go all the way up. It's like sad and drops like part way down. So it's not closed, but it's also like not all the way open. And so it makes the sink drain slow. And I don't understand how to make it happy again so that it will just stay all the way up in its most up position. What do I even do? Thank you. Okay, this is one of my all-time favorite questions that we have ever gotten. <laughs> we get these kind of questions all the time about these sink stoppers. Mm-hmm. I swear to God, the sink stoppers are one of those things where when I tell you how to do it, you're going to be like, oh, yes, of course that's how it's done. <laughs> but it's one of those things where it's like genuinely hard to lay mm-hmm. on your back and try to make all the little yeah, adjustments. because you can't see all the pieces and no, where they are. It's- no, no. It's also like it's 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 a really simple mechanic device. Like mm-hmm. the thing that you pull up, right? That's your lever. The thing that you pull up and push down to make the stopper go stoppy stop. Okay, that lever is then going straight down behind your sink, underneath your mm-hmm. sink itself, right? Like right behind your actual hole, <laughs> your sink hole. <laughs> okay, your bowl. Oh my god. Use professional words The here. sink bowl. <laughs> the little, yeah, you know, it's the grain cannon of sink holes. Oh god. Maggie, <laughs> this is the first question. Maggie, this is the first question. You got it. Get it together. Okay, okay, we're getting it together. So, the sink stopper lever is going to go straight down and then that's going to be connected to another type of like metal or plastic or something of like straight edge device that has a bunch of holes in it typically or could have like it's a straight little rod with like a little clippy clip that connects your lever so basically your lever is going to go straight down and then another rod is then is going to intersect with that one at some Mm -hmm. point that intersection is then what makes a chain reaction of the stopper so Think of the, the this whole mechanic. If you cut your sink in half and you could look at your sink from the side, right? You're thinking of like a straight line down, mm-hmm. a straight line connecting the straight line down and the the sink. And then you're thinking of another straight line going up essentially mm-hmm. <laughs> with the stopper itself. So you have kind of like a weird U going on. That is how that mechanism works. So think of it as a U, right? So when you're pulling up, the sink stopper's coming down. When you're pushing down, the sink stopper's going up. Right. You're making this very, like a seesaw. It's yeah. it's like a weirdly shaped seesaw, okay? <laughs> 
Now, all that being said, what you can do to replace this and make it work is a lot of times there's like a gasket that's around right underneath the stopper, right? Mm -hmm. That gasket could be gone bad. It could be, you know, missing. It it could be severely damaged. The reason why the gasket matters is it's kind of like it's going to keep all the water above it, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not going to let that water seep through the edges of a stopper when it's connected in your drain. But it also helps it be popped right out. Without the stopper, a lot of times it will just sit right in there. Like without that actual gasket underneath the stopper, it will just sit right in there. And getting it out is a goddamn nightmare. So you could just replace the stopper is what I'm trying to say. If you have the kind you can replace the stopper to. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now the way that you can replace the stopper is that if you go underneath your sink and there's a like some type of like a U-bend or J-bend we call it a P-trap, but when you look underneath yeah. it, uh, right above the P-trap, which is like this U-shaped or J-shaped pipe, you're going to see some type of metal rod or plastic rod that is connecting to the sink itself mm-hmm. right below where the stopper would be, right? It's hard for, I know sometimes it's hard for our brains to wrap it around where things would be, right. but it's basically connecting right to the straight pipe that's leading to the Right, because the, the sink stopper is in the pipe. 100%. Okay. Now, if you loosen up the little nuts and bolts for that and you pull it right out, that's going to then pull itself out and disconnect it from the stopper. The stopper mm-hmm. will either have a hole at the very bottom or several holes at the very bottom, or it will have some type of mechanical device that kind of like clips on the bottom of it and has another hole. So basically what I'm trying to say is a stopper has holes on the bottom of it, typically, that then allow you to essentially, you know, thread the needle. You're threading Mm -hmm. the needle. You're completing that U shape that we were talking about. This is the little hooky hook at the end of the J. You know what I mean? That's (laughs) basically what it is. The very end part of the J is the sink stopper itself. You are then going to slide it down in there. Just put a new one down in the sink and then put the rod right back through and then tighten it and then you're good to go. It's very hard to understand how it's going to go, but if you put in sink assembly stopper mm-hmm. repair, you will see all of it. So that's sink you stopper re- assembly. You also have one on your YouTube. I do have one on my YouTube, do I? Yeah. Well, I forgot about that. <laughs> my YouTube is blowing up for those who do yeah. not know. If you're not over at the YouTube, you better Go over there and hang out with us because we're blowing up, <laughs> blowing up something on YouTube. But you do have a good video that goes through all of those steps. Yeah, um, I do. Thank but I think you. you described it really well. Okay, cool. Because I sometimes say so many words. <laughs> I'm like, these are a lot of words. These are a whole lot of words. But all that being said, to 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 to, to sum it all up, basically, there's just a, like three connecting parts. Yeah. And those three connecting parts are intersecting in order to make this happen. So all you got to do is disconnect one of those connecting parts and then, you know, slide in a new one. And then, boom, boom, you're good to go. They make universal sink stoppers. Mm-hmm. You know, they say universal, but they're all different sizes. There's like two and a half inch. There's two inch. There's three inch stoppers. You know, if you're not positive, make sure you can try to take the stopper that you do have. Mm-hmm. Take that out and then bring it to a hardware store and then ask someone for help or try your best to match it. The length does matter, too. Mm -hmm. And some models, like, 
you know, Toto is going to have a different design than a Zern or, you know, Kohler is going to be different than, a, you know, Delta, et cetera, et cetera. All different sinks are going to have different assemblies. Mm-hmm. Some are more universal than others, and some of them abide by, you know, where the holes have to be and et cetera. So sure. they should be fairly universal, but it might not be identical is what I'm mm-hmm. trying to say. Did that help? Did I do the thing? I think so. Matt, did I do the thing? You did great. <laughs> Everyone at Mercury did the thing. Points for Mercury. Points for Mercury. <laughs> now, I think we have another question. Yeah, this was submitted anonymously. Hey, Mercury, I'm going to be putting flooring in my bathroom. Currently, it's just raw subfloor, and I can pretty much only afford peel and stick vinyl flooring. Is there any prep work I need to do or glue I should use, and should I seal it after it's laid? I used some once with no prep work or sealant, and it failed. So I need more tips and tricks. Oh, boy. When it comes to flooring, what a pain in the butt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were saying they were using vinyl, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So since we are talking about vinyl flooring itself, there are some specialized products that will be the kind that you might want to look into. Mm-hmm. They literally have vinyl tile adhesives that you can roll on. Right. Oh, sure. Now, I, I, you know, they they said they had a peel and stick is what they were going to mm-hmm. use. Yeah, I don't know. Do you use peel and stick, Maggie? With I've never seen anybody use it on a subfloor. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like it's usually like over another like you're covering tile yeah. or you're covering like damaged hardwood or yeah, exactly something like that. I I haven't mean not saying you probably couldn't, but if you have the peel and stick, you already have an adhesive on it too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you need to make sure you, you, you peel it and then you add the more adhesive that you want to. You know what I mean? Like, you mm-hmm. can't just lay it down without making sure it's peeled. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Yeah. So, I would make peel sure. Peel it before you stick it? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. But it's going to be, I, I don't know if I would do peel and stick with your vinyl flooring. Someone mm-hmm. out there who's done it might be like, no, Mercury, you're wrong. Okay, cool. But it sounds like not. That I think I would suggest. Right. I think, you know, when we're talking about doing any stuff like this, you've heard me say this once before, probably, Maggie, is I really hate these peel and stick products that give you the impression that they're easier right. to do. There, yeah. There's no easy way to do flooring. Flooring is a back-breaking hard job. Mm-hmm. That is back-breaking and a hard job. It, it, there is, when it, we try really hard to make everything we talk about accessible mm-hmm. right there really isn't a truly accessible thing when it comes to flooring it is yeah. either you have to buy a really expensive stuff to make it a little bit more accessible or you just gotta like get on your knees and lay it all down and you have to like you know beat yourself up a little bit to yeah. do it but putting the, the peel and stick on the subflooring would not be what i do can either Maggie or Matthew look up, can you put peel and stick on subfloor? I'm just really interested to hear what the internet has to say. I know what I think, but it might not be exactly the same. So, But this is what I would advise is I would get yourself, once you get the right vinyl flooring, I would like you then to use some vinyl-specific adhesives and roll it on. That's going to be a lot easier for you than than otherwise so yeah that would be what my suggestion would be and now i think we're going to turn it back over to maggie and matt who knows something that i don't ah! <laughs> that was me trying to uh-huh. buy you guys time 
Yeah, I'm kind of looking into it here. So to be clear, the peel and stick is an alternative to like sheet vinyl. Normally vinyl flooring is like in a big sheet and you cut it to the shape of your room and you put it all down with a special vinyl adhesive. Yes. But let's see, putting it on wood subfloor. So it says in principle you can... But you need to make sure that it's, you know, that it's suitable. They've also done this before, right? Yeah. They mentioned that they've done this before. And so they've done, they, they've, are they saying they put peel and stick on subflooring before and it peeled up? I don't know if they said they did it on subfloor, but they did say that they did it without any prep work. And even what I'm reading right here is saying that it, there does need everything. to be. Prep Some work. kind of like film must be laid between the two. Basically, oh. this allows it to have like a flatter surface where there are no dents and bulges and helps make sure it's dry and clean. So because like subfloor can have, you know, it's just, oh, it's just plywood. Yeah. And you subflooring, know, like, it, sub, subflooring often is dirty and yeah. full of grime and or sub, scratches oh, or dents. Yeah. It might have all adhesive and stuff like that. All that yeah. has to be taken off and removed. It's all about prep, and this is right. why I say it's not easy, because that prep work, any type of subflooring that's had adhesive on it before, or any type of yeah. subflooring that has mm-hmm. been used in some manner like that, even with carpet on top or something like that, will have a lot of prep work to it that you're going to be scraping and grinding at in order to try to yeah. get to be fully ready to go uh-huh. to add a new layer. And typically, especially in a bathroom, you want some kind of like water vapor barrier. So this is telling us like uh, uh, there are polyethylene films or vapor barriers that you can lay down that are available to put underneath the peel and stick tile. Oh, okay. So basically what we're finding out is that there are lots of layers. There, There are ways that you can do this. I would definitely, we're, we're looking at a hunker right now is what Matt pulled up. Hunker.com has something about per, uh, preparing the subfloor. I don't know what website Maggie used. But there are websites that are out there kind of like laying down the step-by-step about how you use peel and stick tiles with subfloor. But a lot of them seem like there's a lot of hoops to jump through. And I would also say... That it definitely sounds like it might not be the absolute best route to go. Yeah, because it sounds like you're kind of having to do the same amount of prep work. And it is recommended to also seal with polyurethane if you want it to like last a long time. So if you're going to do, you know, the film underneath and the polyurethane on the top, like, are you really saving money with the peel and stick that is more likely to come up than like a sheet? Of vinyl. Yeah. So the thing that we're reading right now from a good old Maddie Ice, okay, is essentially kind of like what preparing the subflooring would look like. I'm going to read this bit from hunker.com and we can talk about it really quickly. It's also possible to go over old tile, but you have to fill the grout lines with floor leveling compound to create a smooth surface. For the vinyl. Or you can cover the the tile with untreated plywood OBS as an underlayment. Okay. So there you go. That's another route. They're saying also to this, it has to be like a separation of church and state is what it, <laughs> what it sounds like. And, and, and I think that's really interesting. What Maggie's saying is a little different than what this article is saying. And we're only reading a very small part of it. 
But yeah, there is, you know, leveling compounds that you can use in in a lot of different ways. There's leveling compounds mm-hmm. that you can actually use as like a top quote almost for mm-hmm. your 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 subflooring and whatnot. And all that's fine, but but it's a nightmare to use. Anything that's self-leveling mm-hmm. or floor leveling and, and trying to make sure that it it, it does its job isn't as easy as you wish it would be. And it can also be very time consuming and the environment needs to be proper. So that might not be the best route. And then laying the plywood down on the OBS as an underlayment underneath the tile. That's very interesting to me. Mm. None of that sounds like a good old time. So <laughs> I think we pointed you kind of in the right direction. You know, flooring is one of my weaker brain knowledge things. <laughs> apparently so is words words are also not my strong suit but i did ironically just buy a bunch of books for the office mm-hmm. and one of them was about laying flooring because flooring is one of the weaker parts of my knowledge base so mm-hmm. we gotta start reading more maggie yeah let's read how about we do a book well, we do club? have to do some flooring here in the studio so. yeah i know but i'm not it's good practice i'm fucking dragging <laughs> my feet on that doing flooring is a pain to boot yeah okay are we ready for the next question hi mercury this is Allie. my pronouns are she her and i'm calling because i've got this old ass carport that's being held up by these wooden beams that i pretty sure the previous owner did not build this with permits it, it really just looks like it's being held up by four four by fours and they've gotten so dry and they've gotten so brittle i hit one with my car door and it split and now i'm really worried the whole thing is going to collapse it's one of the center ones and i'm wondering if there's any way like how do i replace this beam how do i keep it up in the meantime and how do i stop my carport from collapsing thank you bye Okay, this is one of those questions that you hear and you always get nervous whenever there's like a splitting beam or there's a splitting something that that, that is like holding a lot of weight. It could be nerve-wracking when you hear this kind of stuff. The first things I'm going to say right out of the gate, whenever we're talking about any type of beam support or anything like that, they do make beam repair plates of various kinds, Mm, right? Cool. The beam plate plates are essentially, you can get them a whole bunch of different ways, but they're basically a plate that goes around beams at various, mm-hmm. um, you know, connection points in order to strengthen that bond to help to keep it from splitting. But here's a here's the thing. And as we're looking at all of this right now, it does look like you're going to need some replacement. For those who don't know, a carport is essentially an open-ended garage in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. right? You have a concrete slab typically down at the bottom, and then you have six to eight different beams that are going straight down. There's no walls or anything around you. And then on top of that, you have some type of awning or roof and et cetera. Uh, they're not as common here in tropical Madison, Wisconsin, yeah. but they are common in uh, other places with a little bit less of a harsh environment in a way of snow and stuff. But all that being said, this is what I would throw out there as far as repairing. I, I think this is going to have to be one of those things where you replace a beam at a time. And I think that you mm-hmm. you get some type of, you can get like support beams or temporary support beams that will go in there and that will hold some of the weight when you're doing the repair. But basically what you're doing is you're, you're going in there, you're almost putting like a jack system. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're, you're putting in this beam that... 
is meant to support the uh, uh, the weight while you're taking that one beam down. Sometimes you might need one on either side of the beam. And then you just kind of like, you turn something as the jack that's on top of the, the beam itself. And that lifts it up just slightly so you can get the beam out. Does that all make sense, Maggie? Yeah. So you're going to install a temporary beam. Yes. So that you, you know, in a different Oof. area so that you can remove the old beam and put a new one in. And yeah. then you can let the jack down. And it it'll rest on the yeah, new beam. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, that is the that is the the, the major thing there. Uh, that's a lot of you know. I think you might need some help in that one. I think you mm-hmm. might need some people who've done it before. I think if you're repairing one of the beams, I don't think it's necessarily terrible. I think when you are starting to replace all of them, yeah. You definitely want to make sure that you are going about it in a way that's really safely. Now, Matt's pointing out right right in the bottom that there is like an, an L-shaped bracket that is going into the concrete and then also looks like it was attempting to go into the wood itself and may have split right there mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah, I'm really curious in how that's actually... It looks like it's just straight down. Like the beam itself yep. is going straight and it's resting on top of the... Yep. The, the concrete. concrete and then it's just a l bracket one l bracket that's so, holding it all together yeah and if matt if you uh zoom out on the photo again or go to the big where you could see all four so what i'm noticing as a homeowner constantly worried about like water drainage right yeah. there's a retaining wall right there and if you notice it looks like yep. the roof doesn't go all the way to the retaining yes, wall. Maggie, so water is coming off of the roof, going into that little groove, getting trapped. Yes. Next to the beams by that retaining wall, which is basically would probably like trap the water. I know you said they're dry and brittle, but I think what's happening is they're getting wet and they're getting dry and they're Maggie getting wet and they're getting dry. Is killing it. Maggie's killing it. So what they have is yes. metal holders. Yes. For the the post. So basically, instead of just that L bracket, it would be an entire like holder. It would go around all four sides and you would screw it down into the cement and yeah. that would protect like the bottom like six inches or so, however tall yeah. now, those post holders are. Uh, the ones that you found, Maggie, are they the ones that you wrap around? The ones you got to lift and put in? You got to lift and put it See, in. See, yeah, that's yeah. exactly So that the would problem. be one when you're replacing. Yeah, that's that's what I would recommend yeah. for something of like... The, so so Maggie's pointing out a great thing. There, not only is Maggie mentioning how the, the roof itself has no long awning, it's too short. Yeah. The roof, it, it stops at the worst possible time. And one of the reasons why it's so bad is because there's actually a slant. There's a slight mount. I would mm-hmm. say there's like a 25 to 30 degree angle of like a little hill that is right attached, like right next to the, the mm-hmm. actual concrete. And to block that off, to prevent that, runnage that the all the water going down there they actually have this little rock you know retaining wall, retaining wall but there's a little like series of rocks that are next to each other mm-hmm. for those who don't know what that is kind of like a little miniature wall we're gonna say like a foot high or two feet yeah. high. the problem is is on the other side the, the between the retaining wall and the goddamn roof there is a good <laughs> there is good amount yeah. of space yeah and you can actually get extensions you can get the roofings if it actually yeah. has 
they're not great. They're mm-hmm. not wonderful at all, but they are the ones that go out like another like six or eight inches. Sure. They can hang right off of the gutters or right off the end of your yeah. roof. That could be enough to, to try to bring the water yes. on the other side of the wall. Yes. To tr- yeah. Maybe that's enough, but it's all experimental as far as like how that would work in this situation. Yeah. But yeah, Maggie, that was a really good catch because what's causing the dryness, mm-hmm. what's causing these beams to like dry out is actually way worse. Yeah. Than the build itself. It's not I, just age. They they were talking about how it's just like a four by four, blah 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 blah. Honestly, from what we're looking at all these carports, it's like every carport's a yeah. four by four. Yeah, four by fours is normal. Yeah. I, I would say that isn't the crazy part. The crazy part is the fact that it's it's anchored in a way where it's really not long term yeah. thinking. So ha- having one of those like foot plates yeah. for the beam itself. Is going to be great because it's also going to protect you from rotting out later on. Like, it's Mm -hmm. going to last a lot longer than it would otherwise. So, yeah, that would be what we would do. Okay, Maggie, I feel like we answered that pretty good. Yeah, gave some options. Definitely, like, some temporary options of just, you know, holding them together, replacing, and then, like, the, you know, and then water diversion. Water diversion. Yeah. Yeah. Good old water diversion. Yeah, I want I want people to like Maybe. message us back and tell us how these projects go. <laughs> yeah, I know that one specifically. I always want to know. Let us know how they went. <laughs> that one specifically is is a little. That's definitely like a week in the project. Yeah, that is like you could try to do it in a day, but that's going to be a week. That's going to be a three day process. Yeah, but the four by fours typically aren't that expensive, and like. The plates that you need. No, but you got to get the kind that that, that are treated Weather and everything, treated, too. Yeah. You need it. it. It's not like you just show up at Menards and right. you're like, hey, I want ba 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 it's more like I need this specific wood, which is going to be weather-treated yeah. wood. But also, you got to make sure you get a good wood selection. You don't yeah. want to pick a wood selection and have too many knots or mm-hmm. too many variations in the wood. So I, would, yeah. I wouldn't go to cheaper... Four by fours. I would go with the, you know, grade B. How much would art do those typically cost? Those? Oh, mm-hmm. but Maggie, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but I wouldn't be surprised if a thick piece of wood like that was going between somewhere between $35 to $55 okay. for each one. Yeah. And then the plate itself, well, I don't know, maybe 25 30 bucks for the plate. Sure. So what? We're talking like $300 uh, dollars for mm-hmm. the whole kit and caboodle. Yeah. And, that's and if, not you do, even, if you do one at a time, and, spread that cost And out. that's not even talking about the... The, the water. Yeah. yeah. Not, well, not even that. I was talking about the beam itself that's temporary. Oh, that's not right. even, That's not even including that. And I know there's words, there's yeah. specialized terms for all of the stuff we're talking about. We're just kind of sending you in the direction that there are things out there that will yeah. make this work. If you look into beam replacement... Especially for like garages and barns, mm-hmm. I, I saw that a lot when I was a kiddo. Yeah, I don't know a lot about ports, but a port is just bare bones garage. Yeah, so it's not a whole lot different. There's not a ton of variation in there. Mm-hmm. So I would say go that route with the beams, and I would say it's probably going to cost you without asking anyone to help you. It's probably going to cost you minimal of five hundred dollars. Sure, I think with getting all the things that you need, you may be able to rent some stuff. In order to drill into the concrete, you're going to need a hammer drill as well. And Mm -hmm. you're going to need specialized bolts for that to kind of like put that in there. And that's a whole different discussion about drilling into concrete and how you do all that. But essentially, that is going to be specialized materials too. So 500 minimal is what I would say. Maybe 
750 max if you did this all by yourself. Sure. Does that sound about right, Maggie? Yeah, I don't know the pricing, so sure. Cool. This has been Price All Right. I have been your host, Bob Barker. Remember, spade or neuter all your cats. I almost said spade and neuter your kids, folks. I almost, no, 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 no. I'm like, oh, no. I'm so sorry. This we is do the not tra- condone that. This your pets. Your is pets. the trans agenda. This is no. what the right wing has been after us this entire time. Spain or neutering your kids. Okay, Matt, I think we're ready for the next question. Hi, I'm Z. They, them, any pronouns or replacing with my name as the pronoun. But I'm a bisexual gender fluid and gender non-conforming white person. The question I had today was about how to get started as a home repair person. Because I've been trying to look up schools and costs, but honestly, it's been pretty overwhelming. Is there any type of like regular mentorships that happen, like on the job or anything of that nature? Because the kind of thought I've been having about it is that I've been wanting to go to like maybe school for it, but I've already been to college once already, and it was so bad and basically gave me no job, lots of time wasted. By the end of it, that I worry that handyman repair similar jobs might, like, you know, I might learn some things in the school, but will it be enough to actually be applicable enough to do quality work, right, versus just, like, the most standard of basics, right? I don't know. But yeah, and also I know it's different for me because um, I get read as a gay cis man a lot. So I know I have a lot more privilege there in that aspect of functioning because usually when I'm in job settings, I just try to stealth as that because it's like generally I, I, I can handle the emotional baggage that comes with it and stuff just because of the times. I, I live in the South, so it, it can be really hard to be my true self at work and things like that. Thanks for listening to my question and considering it for the show. Sorry if it was too long. But love y'all and hope you have safety and good health. This is probably one of the best questions we've gotten that's Mm -hmm. out of pocket for a while. I love this question. Yeah. You know, we don't get a lot of questions like this about how to get in the trades. First of all, I want to say thank you for wanting to get into the trades. Thank you for being a part of the queer community and also wanting to get into trades. Mm. And thank you for being aware of the privilege that cis passing can have on people. I think that all those things, you're just a really kind person and your heart is in all the right places. Now, let me kind of tell you what uh, the different routes are here for people trying to get into the trades. First of all, foremost, I would recommend trade jobs specifically. Technically, maintenance work, which is what I've done for a long time. It's technically not a trade, but I got all my schooling through trade schools. Mm -hmm. So You know what I mean? So it's a a lot of people would argue with you about if maintenance is in the trades, blah, 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 not uh, is handy person in the trades. Yeah, I'm going to say, yeah, I feel like it's all trade adjacent. (laughs) But typically when we say trade jobs, you know, often it's it's electrical work, it's plumbing, it's HVAC, you know, carpentry, all those kind of things are the ones that, you know, we think of the most. We think of like appliance repair as trades, all those things. There's a lot of different routes. If I got to pick an industry right now 
that would be the best industry for the queer community to get into and to grow from. It would be probably electrical work. It would probably mm-hmm. be electricians. Mm-hmm. Electricians are highly sought after. You know, we ain't going to go anywhere anytime soon kind of mentality, right? Yeah. But also they tend to be the ones that are... Electricians are very educated people. They're the thinkers where a lot of other people are not as much as the thinkers. Electricians have to be that way in so many ways because they're dealing with so many variables when it comes to different voltages and machinery and it could be a lot. So the reason why that matters is a lot of times electricians will also have a different background of education. Well, they'll be a little bit maybe more progressive is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Electricians, not always. You're still going to get the gruff guys who've been doing it for 35 <laughs> years who are like, ah, oh, these kids and their pronouns. <laughs> You're going to get that in all the trades. You're going to get that in all the trades. You're just not going to avoid it. You're less likely to get the worst of it in electrician work. Then I would say HVAC is right there. You know, HVAC work is not that bad. Then when you get into all the other ones, right, then you start working in itself. It's more and more and more and more of the traits people that might be uh, a little bit more of a boys club is mm-hmm. is probably the, one of the better ways to say it. So be mindful of what the industry you're going to. That's the standard. We're working on it. There's a lot more queer people. There's a lot more people who are not, you know, cisgender men in the industry every single day. And I think that the status quo will shift over the time, you know, like maybe more open and accepting towards the queer community and people who are different. Now, I would say right out of the gate, I'm going to advise you to look into a trade school specifically because a trade school is not, I know you're going to be thinking, oh, I got all this debt. I got all this money from somewhere else. I don't want to go here. I need to be very specific here. Trade school is so different than college, y'all. Yeah. Trade school is so different. It is, you're not going to a class about, you know, you're not going to be taking classes you don't want to take. Right. Trade schools are specifically for the trade, for the thing that you want, right? And then here's the thing. All the people you're learning from are typically active tradespeople. And it's very they're, hands-on. Yeah. They're typically, they're plumbers, they're electricians, they're carpenters. They're people who work in the field right now. So when you go to a trade school, you're making connections with people who literally know everyone in your scene, in your area, right? Trade school is really important. I will say if you already if you're moving to a different location and you're coming from like, you know, city A to city B kind of thing and you got to up your, you know, your license and all that because now you're in a different location, certifications at your local trade school are mm-hmm. huge because that's where you meet people who are in the industry who have done this for 15 20 years in that area. Right. And you can make those connections when you get your supplier, get your 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 you know, any type of extra help that you may need or any type of third party, anything like that you might need, you will meet through your trade school classifications mm-hmm. and your 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 work. So I will definitely keep that in mind. I, I think that it's a lot of times schooling gets a bad rap where it's so expensive and et cetera. I'm telling you right now that there is a lot of options for you in trade schools. There's also sponsorships and scholarships and other things that you can get through trades right now. We have a shortage of tradespeople in the United States in general right now. So, you know, I, I, I'm trying to say don't let 
all that other stuff that you're talking about discourage you from going into the field when we really need more people in the field. And lastly, if you are not interested in it, if you don't want a part of it, they do have apprenticeships at a lot of places. But the Mm -hmm. thing about a lot of that is you got to know someone who knows someone. I will tell you that a lot of people find apprenticeships through trade school. They'll go through trade jobs. They'll they'll they'll, they'll learn their their stuff at this trade school, and then they'll go and they'll do an apprenticeship for like a year or two mm-hmm. somewhere and get paid for it. But all that being said, if you know if you got a local trade school near you, if you got a tech school, all of that stuff is really important. And I would go that route. Maggie, would you agree? Yeah. Yeah, I would say that also. Uh, having roots in the queer community gives you an up and it's not a disadvantage. That's mm-hmm. what I believe. I think there's so many people in the queer community who are untapped resource. And if you're strong with your local queer community and then you become a part of the trades in some way, you will be you'll be always booked is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. The more connected you are to a community, the more, you know, pe- the word is going to get out about the work that you do. Sure. Okay. I think we did it. Yeah. I think we good. answered all the questions for today. There's another little bit of a short podcast because we are gearing up and we just don't have all the time Ooh, we so want. Busy. Yeah, we're so <laughs> very busy. But we promise when we're on the road, you're going to get those 45 minutes to an hour episodes. <laughs> I want to say thank you to everyone who listened to this episode of the Handy Ma'am Hotline. You mean a lot to me. Uh, it really, I can't tell you how much of a, a wild experience my life has been, as you all know at this point. But now we're giving up for probably even one of the most most wildest adventures we've ever done yet. And that's a two-city book tour. So if you don't know where we're going to be, go to my website, mercurystardust.com. And all of the locations and times and dates are literally right there on the website. And make sure that you look at all the calendars because there's a bunch of different calendars on there. And we got a different one for each month that we're going to be on the tour for. So look up right now. We're going to be in Savannah, Georgia. We're going to be in Water Valley, Louisiana. Mississippi. Mississippi. That one. (laughs) Water Valley, Mississippi. We're going to be in Salt Lake City. We're going to be in Seattle. We're going to be in Ann Harbor. Lowell, Michigan, Lancaster, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Tallahassee, Tallahassee, Florida. I'm basically now we're just playing a new game where Maggie lists (laughs) cities and I say the state they're in, (laughs) which is honestly, I was doing pretty good. I was doing pretty good. Okay. All that being said, thank you so much for listening to the episode. We'll talk to you soon. But remember, as always, you're worth the time it takes to learn a new skill. Bye-bye. The theme song was created by Rody Walker. Questions were picked up by our production assistant, Ziggy. A big thank you to our executive producer, Basil. And this podcast was recorded and edited by Matthew Allen Hag. Thank you for listening. See you next time. If you enjoyed this episode of the Handyman Hotline, you can listen to an even longer version by supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon, $10 or more, you'll be able to get an extra long 30 to 45 minute section every single week. Isn't that amazing? More of me and Maggie. Wow! So thank you so much for all those who already support us, and you too can support us and listen to more on our Patreon. Thank you. Bye-bye. So grab your hammer and nails and paint your nails if you want to. You're worth the 